I'm Anne McNamee-Keels. And this is Lapsed, a podcast about growing up Catholic. Stephanie is away this week, but she will be returning next episode. And we actually have a little bit of a different kind of episode for you this week. Something you might not know about Stephanie and me, in addition to both being lapsed Catholics and theater educators and former Chicagoans and having curly hair, all things Stephanie and I have in common. We also are both live storytellers or do do some live storytelling. Uh, Stephanie has a much longer track record on this than I do. I'm fairly new to the game, but I recently had the opportunity to tell a live story at an event at an art gallery in Chicago called A Very Serious Gallery. It's a really cool space. If you're in Chicago, you should totally look them up and check them out. So I thought that I would share that story with you, our listeners, today. So a couple things, you know, as I was thinking about sharing this story with you today, you know, initially I thought, oh, well, this is perfect because this story totally has elements of Catholicism in it. You know, I sort of mentioned my childhood, but as I listened back to the story, I realized that it has nothing to do explicitly with Catholicism. I actually don't talk about being raised Catholic or the Catholic school that I went to or the Catholic church or anything like that. But I think the reason that I kind of thought that it was within the uh, lapsed Catholic genre is because I think implicitly this story in my memory feels so Catholic. And I don't know if some of you relate to that. You know, there were times in my life, certainly when I was growing up, where Catholicism was just kind of like in the water that I was swimming in. And so everything sort of had this Catholic feel to it. That's just sort of how I walked through the world as I've talked about, I, I kind of grew up in this very Catholic world. So in this story, I talk about a couple things that I think relate to Catholicism. At one point, I am talking about kind of the adults around me when I was growing up, particularly my dad and his very like Chicago Bears fan, softball playing, you know, uh, Italian beef sandwich eating <laughs> buddies uh, that that he sort of surrounded himself with. And those guys and their families were very much a part of my life when I was really young. That was sort of our our social network, our neighborhood network. And those were all guys that my dad knew not from his adulthood and not even from high school necessarily. Um, a lot of them he knew from Catholic grammar school, from you know kids he had gone to school with when he was really young. And the world that they continued to live in and the park that they continued to play softball in was all in the neighborhood in the Catholic parish where they grew up. So even though my dad was an atheist, uh, as far as I know, and, you know, the only time I saw my dad or these buddies of his in church, in Catholic church, was um, for weddings and funerals, there was that vibe because that was how how these guys knew each other. And these were all, you know. Catholic families uh, around me. And I think that is something interesting. I don't know if that's specifically Catholic, but, you know, I am no longer a practicing Catholic, as we know, but I have done that thing where I have held on to Catholic grammar school friends. I mean, my maiden matron of honor in my wedding, which I do mention my wedding in this story, were both um, my best friends in first grade at Catholic school, the same Catholic school my dad had attended as a kid. And my brother's kind of like that too. He's he's not a, a practicing Catholic, but his his friends are all from Catholic grade school, his close friends. I think there's something to that, at least to the Catholic world that we grew up in, that P 
people hold on to friendships. So that is one piece of this that I think makes me think of Catholicism. Um, Another thing in the story, I think maybe the way I handle emotions, I talk about handling my emotions in the story and or I guess not handling my emotions, not recognizing them, not wanting to look at them. I think it might be a little bit evocative of this sort of like offer it up vibe that we get in Catholicism of just, you know, offer up the hard stuff. Don't actually look at it, which maybe isn't the healthiest all the time. I would say definitely isn't the healthiest all the time or ever. And yeah, I think there's there's a couple other things in the story that I think uh, feel kind of Catholic because I was raised kind of Catholic and there's no getting away from it. And I was actually asked to tell this story at this gallery by a Facebook friend who I had never met in real life up until that day. But she and I connected around some social justice issues on Facebook as fellow alumni of the same all-girls Catholic high school. So there is also that. Uh, Okay, so a few warnings. I will play the story for you, but just a couple things before I do. First of all, I do want to let you know the sound quality is not great. Uh, I did my best to clean it up, to edit a bit, but I do apologize for that. I will ask that you just give a little grace or uh, – Catholics don't talk that much about grace, do do we? Uh, Maybe give some mercy, some special dispensation. These are all Catholic-y terms for that. Uh, So yeah, just just, I apologize in advance for the wonky sound quality of a live performance recording. The other thing – is that the sound quality is so off, in fact, that the very beginning of the story really got cut off. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kind of set the scene for you of what being at this very cool gallery night of stories and poems was like. Imagine you are sitting in this lovely gallery space. It's white and bright except for the beautiful art on the wall. There's an arch over to your right that looks like kind of like a cloudy sky. There's a, a lectern up front sort of looking thing with a microphone or a microphone with something in front of it. I mean, it almost in that way feels a little bit like mass or something, <laughs> but not because uh, I would say instead of communion, there there were refreshments at this event. It was actually Topo Chico. This is not a sponsored post, y'all, but uh, Topo Chico. I'm a fan. Topo Chico instead of wine and uh, cotton candy instead of communion wafers, which listen, I would go to that church. Yeah, so you're sitting there in this lovely gallery space, and then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say the first line of the story for you, and then I'll cue you on in to the actual recording. So the first line here is, almost exactly 10 years ago, my fiance and I became first-time homeowners. All right, here you go. Now, my fiance was from South Carolina. He and I met and fell in love in Austin, Texas, great city. But I convinced him that we should uproot our whole lives and move across the country and move to the Chicagoland area. (laughs) And this is pretty much completely because I am from Chicago. But I'm like pretty legit born and raised in the city, Chicago. You know, like when I was a little kid growing up on the Southwest side, the adults around me, like especially my dad and his buddies, they they basically were the uh, 1991 
couple months later, we have this big Chicago wedding. And it's an amazing day, just lots of friends and family. It has its bittersweet moments, as weddings often do. Um, in my case, I lost my dad when I was eight. He was a Chicago firefighter who died in the line of duty. So there are moments on my wedding day that are hard, right? Like walking down the aisle with my mom and my brother and not my dad, or not having a father-daughter dance. Those things are tough. But overall, it's this incredible day. And then we are off to start our new, new Chicago lives. So my husband at this point has a real full-time job with health insurance, God bless. <laughs> I have yet to find such a job at this point, but I do have a newly minted MFA in theater for youth. I am sure. <laughs> it's the most amazing job any day now. So I start sending out resume after resume, and I get interview after interview, and then I get rejection letter after rejection letter. And so the jobs I do end up getting are part-time temporary contract work as a teaching artist. Now maybe some of you are familiar with this. If you are not, um, a teaching artist is basically a freelance arts educator. They're often sent by arts organizations to go to schools for like an hour or two a week for a certain number of weeks to bring some kind of special arts program to students. So I get offered one of these gigs to go teach in Chicago Public School for a couple weeks. And I say, great, that sounds fun. And then I get another one, and another, and another, and pretty soon like my calendar is just filled up. So my days start to look something like this. Leave my house early in the morning, sit in rush hour traffic, get to the far south side to work with a couple classes of second graders. Super fun, we have a great time. Then I'm running back to my car, booking it across the city to the far north side to get there in time to work with my high schoolers. Now I'm back in the car, and then to the west side to teach an after-school program, and then back in the car, and now I'm in rush hour traffic again to get into the city to do my evening gig, and then I go home, sleep, repeat. And listen, I gain a lot of really good skills during this time. Like, I learned to eat full meals while driving. <laughs> So I tell my husband 
that if the baby's a boy, I want to name him after my dad. My dad's name is Steve, but I don't want to name him Steve. I want to name him what his buddies, his bears-loving buddies used to call him. I want to name him Mac. These are the kinds of guys who exclusively refer to each other by nickname. <laughs> and so my husband loves this idea. And then I do the thing that all of us do, right? When we have like unresolved grief and trauma, I like go to therapy three times a week and I journal and I read. And I'm lying, I do none of those things. No, I kind of take the feelings and I like just put them in a ball and I like stuff them down. And occasionally they kind of bubble back up, but usually in the form of anxiety or obsessing over really trivial things that aren't actually important. And the thing that I really start obsessing over is baby clothes. I mentioned my husband is from South Carolina. I don't know if you've seen the way people in the South dress their babies. <laughs> it is real fancy, you guys. <laughs> they have monograms and like sailor suits and smocking. What's smocking is the smocking. I don't know how to dress a baby like that. And I don't think I can afford it, but I'm also convinced that if I don't dress my baby like that, at least when we go to visit family, that I'm like depriving them of a whole side of their identity and they will feel forever alienated who <laughs> they are. And so do I go to talk to my husband about this so he can reassure me that I'm being a little crazy? Absolutely not. No. I do what I know how to do when things get tough and I go to the thrift store. <laughs> I say that I'm going for maternity clothes, but while I'm there, I kind of like mosey over to the baby section. It's super early in my pregnancy. I don't know the sex of the baby. I start in the baby girl section, and there are some dresses and things that would probably pass muster, but what about if it's a boy? And I kind of just have a feeling it's a boy. And so I go down to the baby boy section, and I'm looking at this huge rack of onesies and tiny little denim. So cute. Not what I'm looking for today. <laughs> And then I see it peeking out between these two brightly colored onesies, this little bit of blue and white gingham. So I take it off the rack, and I'm looking at the back of the most adorable little, like, they're called long alls, like overalls, but with buttons on the top. So cute. I'm like, this is exactly what I was looking for. But then I think this is silly. I don't even know if I'm having a boy. Also, this probably already has some other kid's monogram on it. And so I flip it over to look, and there is, in fact, a monogram, and it's a monogram of letter M. M for Mac. Okay, that would work. But also, this doesn't look like it's for an infant, even though I don't really know things about baby clothes at this point. Like, it looks like it's for a toddler. Let me check the tag. So I go to check the tag, and on the tag, permanent marker, someone has written M-A-C Mac. I bet it's outfit. <laughs> and seven months later, we welcome our son Mac into the world. This was a while ago, so Mac is now eight years old. <laughs> uh, he has a little brother now named Henry, who's three. I, I did eventually find my dream job at a theater company in this neighborhood. It was great. But around the time my second son was born, I decided to take a couple years to Mill City home with my kids, and that has been great too. We still live in the same little bungalow. In fact, I got a Facebook notified me yesterday. It's been exactly 10 years yesterday that we've been in this house. The other day, I was in the kitchen, and my husband walked in, and my South Carolina born and bred husband was wearing a Bears sweatshirt and a Chicago White Sox baseball cap, and he said, hey, what were you thinking for lunch? Because I thought I could go and get some like Italian beef sandwiches. <laughs>
So that was a story that I performed at a very serious gallery in Chicago. I will go ahead and link their Instagram in our show notes so you can check them out. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back with a regular episode next time. And as always, and also with you. 